Welcome to Nothing Never Happens, the Radical Pedagogy Podcast. It's my great thrill today to have on the podcast Antonia Darter, who's the Levy Presidential Endowed Chair in Ethics and Moral Leadership in the School of Education at Loyola Marymount University. She's also Professor Emerita of Educational Policy Organization and Leadership at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Um, she has done so much good work as a scholar and an activist. Uh, she has many, many books, and I'm just going to name a few um, that have been especially influential in my own teaching. Uh, Reinventing Paulo Freire, A Pedagogy of Love, Freire in Education, her first book, Culture and Power in the Classroom, Educational Foundations for the, for the Schooling of Bicultural Students, um, a Dissident Voice, Essays on Culture, Pedagogy, and Power, uh, After Race, which is co-authored with Rodolfo Torres, uh, Racism After Multiculturalism is the subtitle of that. Um, she helped to organize when was and produce uh, an award-winning documentary with her graduate students at uh, Urbana-Champaign, Breaking Silence, the Pervasiveness of Oppression, uh, on inequality at Champaign-Urbana, and that was in 2009, and the film is available for download on her website, um, and I will post that in the resources. Uh, some other things about Professor Darter, uh, she is an artist and a poet. She's a nurse, a registered therapist, uh, family um, and marriage therapist, she is an activist for economic justice uh, and anti-racism and anti-oppression. She brings all that to bear um, in the theory and practice of her teaching uh, in education. So welcome, Antonia Darter, to Nothing Never Happens. Thank you so much. I, I, I'm delighted to be part of the program today and, and really happy for the opportunity to speak with you. Well, thanks. Um, there's there's so much to talk about, and I, I wanted to start just uh, with your background and you know how you came, you know, being born in Puerto Rico, moving to the United States uh, at age three, um, how you came in your own educational experience to critical pedagogy and uh, the work of Paulo Freire. Well, I I think that. The best way I could put it is that the work, the work kind of found me, but, um, but in the sense that, you know, you're kind of going through life. Uh, I never set out to be a professor, never set out to be a scholar, um, mm -hmm. pretty much, um, you know, just trying to survive and and um, and clearly my my work is very much anchored to my actual lived experiences to my lived history in the sense that i grew up um, in poverty lived pretty impoverished life until um, 26 years old when i received my my registered nursing license i was a single mom with three kids um, from the time i was 21 i had these three three little kids uh, in wow. total and um, and the one thing that that you know I was clear about is that there were ways in which um, 
I saw others, uh, others have opportunities that I wasn't, were not opportunities that had ever been available to me living in the body or growing up in poverty. And, mm -hmm. and yet at the same time saw how within, for example, the community college context where, where I, I, I started uh, my university uh, work was mm -hmm. very much about uh, using measures and using ways of, of evaluating um, students who were coming from from conditions that were were, you know, so unlike um, the students that measures were normed after. Yeah. And so a lot of my work <clears throat> has been very much in trying to unpack what what does it mean to grow up in an oppressive context? Mm. Uh, what does it mean to to engage in everyday life and and in one's education with issues? of racism, of sexism, and class inequality. Mm -hmm. So it would not be surprising that um, when when I was at Pacific, a student at Pacific Coast College, I, I um, was introduced to a pedagogy of the oppressed. And mm -hmm. what was amazing to me about pedagogy of the oppressed is that I had been working during that time. I, I was a nurse and I ended up leaving the hospital because it, the, the, the contest was so oppressive. Hmm. and working as a Head Start nurse out mm -hmm. in the community. Um, while I was in the community, I started doing lots of work with, with uh, parents, uh, particularly mothers. I mean, because it, it was generally mothers who came yeah. to the parent groups. Um, and, and this sense of beginning wherever the mothers were at, mm -hmm. that was, yeah. you know, the, I'm where, wherever they were at, and then to, to, to generate questions with them in ways that we could reflect together. And this was yeah. something that I was doing long before I read Pedagogy of the Press. But of course, when I read uh, Paolo's work, what it resonated so uh, deeply with my own lived experience and also what I was trying to do in the community, in, in the community yeah. education work I was doing with parents, that it was so easy to embrace it and to take it on. Um, mm -hmm. It was so resonant to, to yeah. so that's that's how I come to um, to Paolo's work, and then through Paolo's work, um, I you know um, one thing leads to another. You know, I ended up going to a conference in um, in in the eighties that that Paolo was at um, that mm -hmm. was uh, organized by by um, the late Tom Wilson at Irvine. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was there that I met Henry Giroux and Peter McLaren. Yeah. A lot of these folks who were already working in that field and very quickly developed relationships with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and including Paolo, uh, who uh, I happen to have set, sat, you know, serendipitously oh. yeah. <laughs> next yeah. to his daughter, Christina. And mm -hmm. And it turned, you know, she says, come to lunch. And <laughs> I know I'm having lunch with, with Paolo and Cristina and, and others. Um, so mm -hmm. you know, life has a, a very interesting way of, uh, of, of moving us if we're open and receptive um, mm -hmm. to engaging in, with, with some of the, the, the impulses of life that are trying to liberate us and to to move us towards love and towards understanding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a great story. Um, 
so I want to pick up on your use of the word love, and uh, you've written quite a bit about uh, teaching as an act of love. Um, I want to use a Frere quote that you use in um, uh, one of your books. Uh, it's from his um, Teachers as Cultural Workers. Um, an armed love, the fighting love of those convinced of the right and the duty to fight, to denounce and to announce justice. Um, so could you describe this pedagogy of love for us? I, I think that, that often, you know, people are put off by the notion of thinking yeah. <laughs> and love together. And yet uh -huh. um, what was really clear to me in my relationship with, with Paulo and in my understanding of his work was that there was no way that we could even be thinking about a pedagogy of liberation if it were not a pedagogy of love. Uh -huh. And that had to do with our capacity to love ourselves, to love one another, and to love the world. And that what, what this entailed, in essence, was our willingness to stand up for ourselves, to stand up for each other, and to stand up for the well-being of our communities um, and our societies. So it, 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 it demanded our presence. It demanded our willingness to be available and responsive to life. And mm -hmm. that be responsive to one another and responsive to the actual conditions that we find in the world is, uh -huh. is, is possible because we love, because we, we believe in something beyond the limitations that we are presented with, because uh -huh. we understand ourselves as social agents of history, as subjects of history, not yeah. objects of you know, governments or objects of, of, of history, but subjects uh -huh. of history. And that because we also understand that it, that it is also through love that we're able to bring our social agency and our sense of self-determination to the table uh -huh. in ways that allow us to work towards um, greater, a greater sense of freedom and liberation with respect to those issues in society that would betray our dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so those words, freedom, liberation, uh, you know, Freire talks about, you know, the classroom is a space for either domestication or freedom. Uh, mm -hmm. He also talks about, and you write about this quite wonderfully, um, the fear of freedom mm -hmm. that a lot of our students who are acculturated in this sort of neoliberal model come to our classrooms and there's a, there's a fear of having that voice and that freedom. So in, in what ways um, do you think uh, living out a critical pedagogy in the classroom addresses that? Well, I, I think that, <clears throat> that for, for Paolo, it was very linked to this, the question of ethics, right? Uh -huh. What are the ethics that we bring to our, our teaching and learning? Um, mm -hmm. and, and how do we understand pedagogy, a pedagogy of love as an ethical practice? So what, what so much of this is, you know, that we can't expect our students to be fearless in their engagement with injustice if we ourselves are not fearless and willing to, to engage them and willing to engage our own moments of difficulties within mm -hmm. the context their classroom. In other words, the greatest pedagogy happens as a pedagogy that we live, 
that the that that the most powerful pedagogy is that pedagogy not that we find in a book but that pedagogy that we find as part of our embodied practice within mm -hmm. the, our classrooms within our communities and the way we are in our everyday life yeah yeah um so uh in terms of critical pedagogy uh and its uh theory practice you know connection um what uh what what is the importance of theory uh for you because oh. a lot of um too many faculty that i know who are who are good teachers but educational theory is something they don't want to have to deal with they know their field and the theory in their field uh so what would you say to uh those teachers in higher education about and and that you tell your um, uh, teacher teachers to be uh, in your classrooms uh, about the importance of theory, especially the really scary theory of Marxist theory and um, you know uh, Gramsci and Giroux and McLaurin and all all of and Dewey and Maxine Green and Bell Hooks and the and the rest of it. Right. Um, I, th I think that, the, that, that understanding that there's always theory and practice going on, that it, that it is a, an illusion to think that one is, is just practice-based. Because one can think of themselves as practice-based, but what they're denying is that the way they're practicing is absolutely tied to the ideologies they hold and to the way that they see the world. So mm -hmm. what theory is about is is our our efforts to bring some some precise language to how we understand our own uh, worldviews and mm -hmm. how how we understand teaching, how we understand society, how we speak about questions of class, how we understand yeah. the issues of racism, how we understand you know, questions of, of, of sexism, homophobia, disabilism, all of these forces mm -hmm. that are linked to power. So within the context of critical pedagogy, central to our understanding of theory is that it is the place where we have an opportunity to deconstruct the structures and attitudes mm -hmm. and values and practices related to unjust forms of power. Yeah. So that we can rethink them, right, and reconstruct yeah. them in ways that allow us to move in the interests of democratic life. Mm hmm. And, uh, and I also wonder, you know, we're talking about power and authority, um, you know, how much teachers are responsible for um you know continuing that oppression um you know yeah. when you write about bicultural and and intercultural learning uh at one place i forget where this is but you define authority uh you say teachers are in a creative state of partiality which i took to mean that we're in a constant state of partial state of becoming um right. you know that of critical consciousness that critical consciousness that we don't have as a sage on a stage um, expert, but we are co-creators with our students uh, of that critical consciousness. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the notion of co-creator was a, 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 an important uh, and key concept 
for Paolo. I mean, he understood that. He understood that all knowledge is social construction, but all knowledge is co-constructed. And uh -huh. we construct that knowledge under particular conditions, right? So the uh -huh. issue consciousness is that conscious our consciousness gives us a reading of those conditions and, mm -hmm. and it, it in in so many ways what it, it what is implicated are our own cultural values and and ideologies so mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the, the significant piece in relationship to teachers is that often teachers are educated in a way that does not uh, demand that they know themselves that does not create the context for them to become truly self-reflective of the ways in which their attitudes and their views of the world, and in particular, their views of the other, are perpetuated even within their well-meaning practices and, and attitudes. Yeah. So it requires us to understand that, that to, to create a a world, right, to create a world where there mm -hmm. is true equality, a mm -hmm. where freedom is, is shared, where there is a sense of, of coexistence um, mm -hmm. in terms of the well-being of all people and of all children. Mm -hmm. it, it demands that we bring a worldview and that and that we take responsibility for for our actions in creating that mm -hmm. that, that vision it's not just going to happen it happens in our relationships our everyday relationships with one another it isn't yeah. this notion of pie in the sky vision it is a living what Paolo used to call a living utopia. Sometimes people don't like those terms, but that's the term that he used. And, and what it meant is that we always had a sense of the kind of world we wanted to live in. And that's where we mm -hmm. come to the, 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 this issue of love in the sense of a deep sense of respect and appreciation mm -hmm. for the preciousness of life that exists in all of us and in all living beings. And that we bring... Mm -hmm. We're responsive and responsible to bring that way of being into our classrooms, which then demands that we become very, very conscious of our of our ethnocentric perspectives that interfere, yeah. that we understand that we that that anyone who is educated within the US in particular, you know, but it, that most places around the world, because of, of the hijacking of education around the world by the Western things. Yeah was was uh, socialized in epistemology that teaches us to create a very hard divide between what is accepted within the Western paradigm and what is not. And so mm -hmm. anything that is not accepted, anything that's outside of the of the Eurocentric you know paradigm is yeah. it's considered to be invisible or irrelevant and have no place within mm -hmm within the context of knowledge. What is happening now, of course, uh, within critical pedagogy and, and in other fields is mm -hmm. a, a deep decolonizing force is at work where we are pushing back in, in ways that are creating spaces for decolonizing views of the world to, to come forth that actually are put in the, to counter the mm -hmm. Absoluteness, the, the 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 hierarchical and absolute um, ways in which Eurocentric knowledge 
has been perpetuated and privileged in our society and within schools. Yeah. How do how do you see that being played out in, in the best ways in terms of uh, curriculum design and um, course syllabi and how faculty um, and not just faculty, but institutions, programs and institutions think through um, the, that decolonizing practice? Well, I, I think there's been a, um, that I, we can't think about the notion of decolonizing curriculum or decolonizing practice in in a vacuum, right? I mean, you know, prior, I mean, this has been, you know, a push, a push. You know, there's been in terms of the multicultural movement, the movement yeah. of diversity, all of that has been um, has been at work for a long time. But the problem uh -huh. is that often those multicultural uh, projects and, and the diversity projects were still being done from a Eurocentric lens. Mm -hmm. but the yeah. problem, you know, and, and so as a consequence, the other becomes objectified because uh -huh. we're only others within the Eurocentric lens. We're not others within our own cultural lens. Yeah. And, and so exactly. it, it requires us then, you know, to, to begin to counter, to find ways to, to, create counter narratives. So some of that counter narrative is happening in terms of research. I'm, I just have a, a book that just came out um, in interpretive, uh, on decolonizing interpretive research and really yes. looking, you know, looking at, at what does that mean to think of, of research in decolonizing ways? In what ways is, this, is the, the, what has been considered the subaltern subject, you know, mm -hmm. central, to the conversation rather at the periphery it is you know where are the voices of those who have been silenced you know now have a place at the table in, in relationship to the classroom to research to pedagogy and mm -hmm. how how we make sense of education in this time you know it, it, there's still so much work to be done because the level of resistance is quite i mean it's it it, it is intense it it has been it has always been intense, but we are at a very very strange moment in the manner in which yeah. neoliberalism in and of itself, as it's consolidated itself within the context of education, has become a, a has pushed forth you know a, a very quantifying form of education that actually yeah. works against the opening of the curriculum, and and. and a greater open engagement with what we mean by knowledge because it requires such a deep sense of standardization that's tied to high stakes testing uh -huh. that continues. Yes. Right? So uh -huh. all of these elements are at work. So I think that that part of, of the work is, is trying to, to create the kinds of critique that then begin to open spaces where new forms of curriculum can emerge. And I think uh -huh. we're we're just in that process. But, you know, a lot of um, um, educa educators, for example, within, uh, you know, a tribal context or within uh -huh. communities, by, bilingual, bicultural, the dual uh -huh. language folks have been trying to bring a different reading of pedagogy um, to this work. Not all of them, but there uh -huh. are critical dual language educators who have been doing this and, and who have been trying to bring forth a, 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 an opening of mm -hmm. the, the field of engagement within the classroom where suddenly there, there are ways in which a multiplicity 
and multi-dimensional multi aspects mm -hmm. of the lived experience of the students themselves can, mm -hmm. yes. can share a place at the center of the curriculum rather mm -hmm. than at the Yes. Um, oh, there's so much good stuff here. Uh, so first, I want to get at the whole uh, push of neoliberalism, especially in higher education. Um, I'm seeing it at a small liberal arts college where there's emphasis on skills and it's a business model of leadership uh, and it's all about there's there's a link with a with a capitalist uh, framework. Um, and so everything, even the good stuff around diversity and inclusion is, you know, that framework is still there. Um, so education in the age of neoliberal exclusion, to borrow one of your uh, chapter titles, I think, from one of the books. Um, uh, how what's your recommendations for um for faculty, well, and K through 12 educators also, I, I suppose, to to fight against this, um, you know, to to build um, to movement build against this uh, push, especially in the in the current time. Yeah, I, you know, I I I have to be um, very honest with you. I always shirk <laughs> questions mm -hmm. that have to do with how tos. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so, but I will. I would try to answer it a different way. If, if, okay. if you sure, sure. I think it's a, you're hearing from desperate educators and the. Well, I think I think at times, you know, the the sense of desperation, the sense of urgency is it also turned on its head and, and ends up being way being used as a reason to accept far less than what we should have in our schools uh, and in yes. our universities. Mm -hmm. Because you know the problem for a lot of us has been is very old. It's not something mm -hmm. new. the urgency isn't isn't new. So so it seems that it's better that we take our time and really try to get at the at the true issues that are at work in, in terms of inequalities and issues of privilege, yeah. um, rather than trying to push through a program just because you know with with the sense oh there's so much urgency or we just have to do something. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, it's much more than just doing something. It's like we have to do those. We have to do those practices and those approaches and interventions that truly fit mm -hmm. the structures and yes. practices and relationships that exist mm -hmm. within our schools. But I think in relationship to neoliberalism, I think we have to understand neoliberalism is simply a, a an advanced form of capitalism. Mm -hmm. um, that, that isn't a leak. It is. It, it is the the. the you know the form of globalized capitalism and so we've you know given it the name but but essentially um what is going on is the internationalization of capital and the continued um um rape of of third world countries in terms of the resources i mean these these continue and and in many instances with the participation of third world countries themselves because they're essentially um, the message is if you don't get with a program, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll take it all anyway. So, uh, you know, yeah. politically, there, there, there are some interesting ways in which um, neoliberalism has continued to, to um, be a, uh, a tyrannical force, a, 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 an economic tyrannical force in the world. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. With universities, we see it 
in the ways in which it has been used very effectively to um, little by little, and in some in some ways not so little by little, you know, <laughs> more, yeah. more aggressive, mm -hmm. uh, to undo uh, the humanities and to undo oh, yeah. those those fields of study where critique would be more more apt to surface. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it, you know, and instead we see <clears throat> the STEM or now STEAM, but the STEM um, uh, mm -hmm. phenomenon absolutely linked to this kind of this this um, meritocratic uh, form of education that mm -hmm. is completely science-based yeah. if the sciences themselves are not you know replete with a eurocentric lens that informs the, the reductionism you know mm -hmm. and determinism that is part of that paradigm I'm not saying that that Science doesn't have a place. I'm saying when you make it be the major place, what is being lost are, mm. are significant forces that can launch critiques against the abuses of science within our society yeah. And, yeah. And, and around the world. Yeah, and I, I would add to technology. There's there's new um, influence influence of artificial intelligence. Um, and digital learning, sort of more online learning and more disembodied kinds Absolutely. of all learning. part of that, all part of that paradigm, mm -hmm. all part of that paradigm. And you know, in some ways, the the, the whole hoopla around the fourth, you know, the fourth uh, revolution, industrial mm -hmm. revolution that is going on, uh, mm -hmm. which has been completely uh, uh, created and constructed and fabricated by by you know, a capitalist interest is mm -hmm. is very much about you know finding a way at at a moment where there are there are forces of protest and forces pushing back on mm -hmm. neoliberalism, finding a way to reconsolidate their hold on the financial markets and 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 world resources, and now through this whole you know discourse of artificial intelligence when you think about who are the people who have access to that yeah it's so so there's there's some very interesting ways in which we need to bring a certain level of critique as we read these reports um and 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 be, and be caution you know we, we need to be cautious Pardon me, of how we embrace this question of STEM, or I, I think the other thing that that I, I that that we know is going on. For example, at my university, seventy-five percent of the grants are going to towards you know STEM-related, yeah, uh, science, you know, mathematics, technology, engineering, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and so when that that many resources are being you know funneled to a particular area we have to think of what you know what is going on what is the purpose yeah. of that? And especially mm -hmm. when they're being funneled to areas where social critique is the least is least often to happen i'm not saying yeah. that doesn't happen in the science but it's least often to happen yeah.